I got a cancer diagnosis and my long-term marriage relationship was coming apart. I think those two things were connected. Welcome to A Success of Our Own. A Success of Our Own is an invitation for us to courageously define our own version of success beyond the mainstream metrics we've been told we should want so that we can create a sustainable and joyful success that we can finally relax into. I'm your host, Natalie Ruskin. I'm a journalist with an inquiring mind, a meditation teacher seeking the divine, and a community gatherer helping others live life more inspired. This podcast offers you the opportunity to learn and grow through inspiring personal stories of transformation, ideas, and practices. As you listen to this podcast, breathe it in and let it slow you down even a bit. Trust that simply listening in this less effortful way you'll experience a shift. You'll find that puzzle piece you've been seeking. Join me in this moment, and let's take a risk together at living a success of our own. I am delighted to introduce you to one of my closest friends. Her name is Wren Jones, and she's a published writer and poet. She's also an artist, a rock star mom to two adult kids, and an outdoor enthusiast. But when I first met Wren over 10 years ago, she likely would not have described herself in this way. We were in a support group for emotional overeating, and Wren's primary focus at the time was putting the priorities of others ahead of her own, her kids, her husband, and her colleagues. And then everything changed. Around the time she turned 50, Wren got diagnosed with cancer, ended her 20-year marriage, sold her detached Toronto house, and stopped working. I had spent so much time giving to other people and focusing on other people's needs. I had a lot of anger and resentment and all kinds of stuff that I think probably contributed to my physical health and made me really look at the fact that I'm not going to be here forever and that I needed to really make my health and myself a priority. I think I take it for granted that I actually know what I want because a lot of us don't know what we want and certainly there was a point when I didn't myself. So that's the first part of the battle. The second half is figuring out how to get to what we want. And then the last part, which many of us never get to, is actually doing it, actually taking the actions. And that's the part where a lot of us just say, I'm I'm done, <laughs> like I'm walking off the job. And, you know, this isn't even for me. I'm not good enough for it. And I don't even want it anymore. But Ren actually pushed through all the way. She made it happen. And I had a front row seat to witnessing it all. It was so empowering for me to see this woman go from prioritizing the care of others over her wants and then to flip that over 180, where she actually puts 
her wants ahead of the needs of others, which kind of sounds selfish. But once you hear her story, you'll see how actually she's even more available to others in this very authentic and beautiful way. So this is why I wanted to share this with you because of how empowering it's been for me to witness this transformation. Hi, Ren. Hi, Natalie. (laughs) So I know the little bits, but maybe you could tell the bigger story of who you are (laughs) and what you're up to these days. I'm a writer. That's my main thing now. That's my North Star, and that's what I spend most of my time doing. I'm also an editor. Uh, I do a lot of visual art these days that's connecting with my writing and making me really excited. A big part of my life is being outside and doing things in nature. I go hiking a lot. I go biking a lot. Yeah, and currently I'm finishing up a one-year post-grad program. I'm studying creative writing with a focus on poetry at Simon Fraser University in their writer's studio. So right now I'm working on a collection of poetry. It's going to be a chapbook, which is a short, smaller book, 25 poems. The current title is Rewilding in Progress. So I'd love to start this conversation with a snapshot of something that happened on one of our many COVID winter alley walks (laughs) when a veritable stranger asked you what you do the guy who had that super cool back garage that opened up onto the alley and he had all this art up and you recognize some piece there or some show that was advertised that he was doing. And he's like, and what do you do? And you're like, I'm a writer. Was that something you were always comfortable doing, telling people you were a writer? And when, how did that change for you? I remember that. And it was so interesting because I feel like that was actually the first time I genuinely just responded and said that and felt really good about it and owned it and didn't have to go, oh, I shouldn't have really said that. I'm not really that. (laughs) So I grew up in a house that wasn't really interested or focused on the arts and doing the arts. There was some appreciation from it, but there certainly wasn't an idea that that was a good thing to be mostly financially, but also people use the word artsy-fartsy in my house. (laughs) And I didn't know it at the time, but I was (laughs) artsy-fartsy. So there was sort of a teasing, actually, that Mm. went on underground for things that were creative. I remember I would write plays at school, and then I would be producing them as well. And I'd be needing to, like, cart all this stuff out of the house. I would be in the basement, and I'd be sneaking things into a green garbage bag, sort of, like, stuffing it with my props (laughs) or my grade three plays. Because I knew, first of all, I'd probably be stopped and told not to do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was taking inappropriate things, let's be fair. Mm-hmm. My mom found me doing that once, or I was taking stuff. She nicknamed me Supply Supply. Like, oh, you're just always supplying things. More supplies. So I got the message that was like something worthy of teasing, something to be a little ashamed mm-hmm. of. And so even though I started mm-hmm. writing pretty young and kept a journal and did all of that, always in the back of my head, there was this bit of shame around mm-hmm being a creative person in any way that wanted to express and do things that were sort of, in my family, like kind of crazy. But I've kept writing in my life, all through my life, but it's always very much been on the side. I remember going on a retreat once and finishing a novel I'd been working on or taking a bit of time off. But then I always went back to what I did, which was work in learning and design and do practical money-making things Mm -hmm. and run a family. 
during COVID, I really reconnected with writing. I mm. had this, like many of us, this sort of time and stuck at home. And I got into this writing group. A friend of mine from Montreal, who is also a writer, reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to start a little online writing group? We'll just throw prompts out and we'll write. I remember that. I attended one of those. Yeah, that's right. So I did that for about six months and this stuff started coming out of me that was just like amazing and started to make me feel alive. And we met twice a week, three of us. Uh, We're still meeting three years later. I just went to Montreal and we had our three-year anniversary. (laughs) And we've all been published and have manuscripts Mm -hmm. at this point. And none of us even wanted that at the beginning. Wow! Just the act of writing a lot, I feel like, started to make me feel like I am a writer because it's what I do. I spend my time doing Mm. this a lot. And that makes me the thing. (laughs) So that helped. And then getting some external recognition, I started taking the big risk, which felt like a huge risk of sharing my work. I started sharing it online, on Medium. I started um, getting to some readings. And then I started facilitating this process with other writers. The external stuff was important. It helped me to see that what I was writing had an impact on Mm -hmm. people. I edited a novel during that time, the novel that I'd written before. And I entered it into a contest, the Canscape Writing for Children competition in Canada. And it was a finalist, which means the top Amazing. three. And so that also made me go, oh, well, these people <laughs> are saying it's okay. <laughs> so maybe I am a writer. Yeah. And then I think just making myself say it and respond like yeah. that helped me to really to claim it. And because of that shame piece, there yeah. was a coming out of the closet yes. sort of is because it felt like owning something that I'd actually had a lot of shame about. As I was preparing for this conversation with you, I I was thinking about the label of saying you're a writer or another client of mine. Like I remember a, a breakthrough moment when she was like, I'm an artist, I'm an artist. And for me, it was this piece around, I'm a coach. There was still shame around being a coach because of this perception, like, coaches being flaky life coaches or money grabbers, charlatans, heretics, whatever. And a lot of shame that came from different places near and far (laughs) for me growing up in a family of intellectuals and academics. And what shifted for me yesterday was as a coach, I get to help others transform. I get to help create breakthroughs for other people. And in a similar way to what you're talking about, where other people were experiencing joy and being moved from what you were actually finally putting out there, your craft, it almost helped move the center of focus out of you being preoccupied with how you're perceived being a writer to this external relationship with others where you're contributing, you're adding value. And that only happened through you putting stuff out there, like that first step of creating that writer's group in COVID. Talk to us a bit more about this chapbook that you mentioned you're working on and what exactly is rewilding? (laughs) That's a great question. I didn't know what rewilding was. I knew that I had a collection of poems and the last few months more and more they've been coming from this like wild place in me that I don't even know what it is. I sent them to my mentor in the poetry program and he said, this is your secret sauce. This anger, this humor, this wild, it's your swagger. I was Mm. like, whoa. (laughs) 
And it was, again, putting it out there and having someone else see it and say it back to me that made me a little more aware of it. And then I leaned into that and written more and more that voice that I think has been developing in me over the last few years. And I went to Calgary about a month ago, and I was really close to Fish Creek Park where I stayed. And in the morning, I got up early and went for a walk there before I knew coyotes were there in the morning. (laughs) But I didn't know that, so I did it. And someone told me on my last day to be careful. So while I was walking by Fish Creek, there was a sign on this fence that was area that was blocked off. And it said, rewilding in progress. Please Mm. do not enter. I just went, damn. (laughs) I think that's what that group of poems is about. And so I didn't take that sign, but there was one on the ground (laughs) a little further ahead. So I picked it up. And I brought it home and I have a photo of it. It's kind of got some mud on it and I would love that to be the cover. And I thought, this is what my collection is about. This is about transformation and Mm. this rewilding of myself that's in progress. It's so good. (laughs) I have chills listening. Would you read something from that for us? Uh, Sure. It's called Wild Orange. Orange light sears red love. Don't mess with her. She's not afraid to sock you in the kisser, to wipe that smile off your face, to smear that baby blue eyeshadow. Orange flexes. Orange is the deep sea with men running amok on trawlers, their nets so full they'll capsize. Orange is your baby's drool, caught in a jar and sold to the highest bidder on eBay. Orange is a raging fire next to the house while the boy cries, It's also easy. You don't matter. What the fuck? Orange gambles. Orange drags you past comfortable, demands you rise above the monochrome. That preference to slide along the grease next to the railroad tracks, quietly disappearing as the train roars by. Orange is the large cone in its path, stopping engines dead in their tracks. Orange picks you up, blows off the dust, spins you into a molten wind. Stop being a big sucky baby of one boot in front of the other. You listen. Move. Orange is not a friend or enemy. It's a bellowing coach who seems friendly when practice ends. Who knows what it gets up to once it leaves the field. Maybe a house with 17 kids. Maybe a tumbling arsonist behind the bins. Maybe drag racing along the lakeshore till dawn. Hanging out of the window with a trailing smoke. Thank you. I didn't have any notion that I was going to write a poem like that about orange. Someone threw it out as a prompt and I just got going. And that speaks to this theme that we were talking about the other day of this unraveling to rewild. Can you tell me a bit about that journey for you and what it looked like? Two key things that happened in the last six, seven years were that I got a cancer diagnosis and my long-term marriage relationship was coming apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those two things were connected. Um, I had already realized that I needed to make some big changes and we were trying to do things in our relationship, but it wasn't <clears throat> shifting. We just both changed a lot. And I had spent so much time giving to other people and focusing on other people's needs. I had a lot of 
anger and resentment and all kinds of stuff that I think probably contributed to my physical health. Mm -hmm. So I had surgery to remove a mass that was in my abdomen and it turned out to be hepatocellular carcinoma, which is primary liver cancer, which scared the shit out of me and made me really look at the fact that I'm not gonna be here forever, for one thing, and that I needed to really make my health and myself a priority I went to Wellspring Cancer Center and was fortunate to get all kinds of support there for the physical things, but mostly the non-physical things. And within the year, ended my marriage, which was a really, really hard thing to do. So that was probably the biggest unraveling Mm -hmm. (laughs) of my life in terms of unraveling a family unit that I had invested so much in and felt so distraught about breaking apart. Mm -hmm. But I felt like my kids needed me here on this earth and if maybe it needed to be in a different form and that was actually more important. I met my partner when I was 20. So I'd been with him since I was 20 till I was 52. So I hadn't been on my own and had those years of figuring out maybe who I was. I wasn't from a family that really helped me figure that out too much. Mm -hmm. So what preceded it was just, you know, first of all, falling apart, a real difficult Mm -hmm. couple of years of grieving and coping and unattaching. And also those starting to pick up little pieces of the things that, you know, sparked me. And I had great help doing that. I have a great community of friends. I have a beautiful program of recovery that I work. I got a, not a flake, it wasn't you, (laughs) got a life coach that really helped me with some of the kind of aftermath of ending a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I started picking up things that, you know, made me feel good. And one of the things that I picked up was my athleticism, something that I'd I'd always been really athletic Mm. and I'd really let that go. I started cycling. I signed up for this kayak trip out of Tofino in Claycourt Sound. I want you to talk about that because I remember you telling me about just after you had come back from that experience, this practice you did that the leader of this trip had suggested for the participants to do. I I think it's important to talk about these parts of our journey because at the top of this conversation, we talked about, yeah, I own that I'm a writer and I just put my stuff out there. I put myself out there and we hear that narrative, like just start putting stuff out there. There can still be something that still feels very out of alignment with that thing that we want to put out there, whether it's calling ourselves a writer or owning a business. And when you talked about that experience in the West Coast, it feels like you mended something. Something got put back together that maybe fell apart very early on. Can you speak to that? So on that trip, as well as you know, kayaking out to an island in Clayquot Sound and camping overnight there on the beach for five or six days, it was also an opportunity for people who were going through transition to kind of do some self-reflection out there in nature. And so she asked us at one point to bring a couple of things that were important to us. From there, she just sort of sent us off, like find a spot somewhere and do Mm. whatever you need with the info we'd had. I picked up a stick and rocks and I just started playing in the sand the way that I would when I was a kid at the beach at our cottage. I would just like fart around and build stuff and take stones and make things. (laughs) And I just did that. And I was just like laughing, I think, to Mm. myself. I was so happy doing it. And it felt like this freedom. And I just connected with that 
playfulness. I feel whole when I'm in nature. I feel filled up. I don't feel lonely. You know, I'm with the water, I'm with the trees. I always feel comforted. And so it really connected me with that wholeness, feeling filled up both by being there and taking that in and also playing in it and feeling sort of my joyful young self again. And I realized how important that was, that playfulness piece in my life. And what are the things that make me feel like that? And those are the things that I think the world just sort of wants from me, or that our universe is asking of each of us is like, what are those sparky things? Could you speak to what the new metrics of success are for you? And what are the ones that you had to let go of? I think it's participating in those sparky things, Mm. (laughs) those things that light a fire inside of me and just doing them, not necessarily concerning myself with the outcome. So I get really anxious if I'm going to get up and read my poetry, but I also feel completely filled up and excited after I do it. Mm -hmm. So I do it. So I don't let that fear stop me because I know it's one of those things. And even if I do, don't do a great job, that doesn't matter. I did it and I feel great. So a big metric for me is that participating in the things that make me feel happy and that I had the courage. I have a saying with a friend, um, I'll sign up for things and then I'll have to actually go do the thing. (laughs) And I'll text and say, whose stupid idea was this? So we each do that back and forth. I'm doing this thing. Whose stupid idea was it? So it's just acknowledging that that fear comes up, but that I do it. And so that's the win for me. And that's the success is that I'm doing it. And inevitably what's happened is because I keep showing up and doing those things, it's building a body of work for me and helping me improve my craft and and all of those. It's not necessarily just writing. It might be showing up. You know, I just signed up to, to be a bike host for this new bike mentoring program in Toronto where you get matched with newcomers. And I was a little nervous because it's a new thing I've never done. And anytime something's new and I haven't done it, there's a big part of me goes, no, 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 no. Don't go do that. <laughs> it's know? not safe. Yeah. It's going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to be exposed. Yeah. 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 And what parts of that older mainstream upbringing of success, like this is an artsy fartsy choice that's not going to make you money. Like what parts of that still have a grip on you and how do you navigate that? Yeah, I'd say I've made choices in my life so that, uh, you know, my expenses are really low. I live in a way that I can, you know, manage because I want to be able to do these things. So, and I'm okay with that. I don't, I sometimes feel a bit pulled back to like, "Mm, I could take a certain kind of job and get a certain kind of title. And I had a vision of myself like in a little suit the other day. (laughs) I don't really wear suits, but I was like, oh yeah, that felt kind of good. There's some power in Mm -hmm. that. Um, So I'm a little pulled and, you know, there may be room for that somewhere in my life. But right now, I'd say I'm more pulled by another really big value that I brought up with and I lived my whole life in a more fulsome way. And that is that like, my job is to help others. Mm-hmm. I came from a family that that was a big, important thing. My mom was a uber volunteer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she did all kinds of things. Um, my profession that I trained in was first a social worker and then a teacher. And then I worked in the nonprofit sector running programs that was, you know, that I wanted to run because I want, you know, I see the inequity. I want 
barriers removed for people. I want people to have equal access to things. So that's what I've spent my career doing. And I still feel pulled like, mm, I'm being a bit selfish. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm just doing this course for the year. Then I got to get back to helping others. And I can still feel pulled to that. There's some value in that. And it is something important to me. But that give up yourself for others, mm. which really was what it was about, it's, it's not good. <laughs> you know, it's not good for mm. me. It's not actually good for others. Uh, you want something back when you do that and you're not giving from that kind of a place. Yeah, I'm still kind of pulling that apart a bit though because I know there's something in it that's good and that I want to act on. And yet there's something also in it that's kind of toxic. And so I'm trying to pull that apart and... So this bike host thing actually is a really good example. I love cycling. I love meeting new people. I have great admiration for people that come here from another country altogether and try and make a new life. And if I can help them do something I love, which is biking, then that's a different kind mm. of place for, of giving from. What you're talking about reminds me of the Elizabeth Gilbert talk in Toronto earlier this year. And she was speaking to this new wave of the women's movement. She said with full reverence, I'm so thankful for the shoulders of the feminists who came ahead of us and for your modeling of resilience and courage and the modeling of compassion and being caregivers, caretakers, all of that. And she's like, and that is exhausting us. And the piece that I know we talked about afterwards that really spoke to us was this idea of like relaxing, like, but not that the picture she says that she sees of the white woman with hot stones on her back when she looks up relaxed in Google, but more this idea of releasing these chains of conditioning of how we feel we should be to be enough to be worthy, which is really hard to unravel ourselves from. Yeah, I really feel like that conditioning about, you asked me before about, you know, success metrics. And one of them was being a great, you know, a great mom, you know, mm. looking after the house, the family, the sort of community life of our family and making choices about my life based on what my partner needed and the kind of support he needed with his career. And all of that was about giving, you know, how can I sort of help others? But having that kind of family was success for me. So that really imploded when I, for me, now the interesting thing is I feel like I have a really happy, successful family still. It mm -hmm. has a different form. Mm -hmm. I'm really close to my kids in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think they have a very different mom than they did 10 years ago. They have a happier mom. I hope they have a role model of like, go after the things you care about kind of mom. I know we talk about being sensitive people and how there's a certain high sensitivity that we experience. Is it possible that the success that you're talking about, which I also feel very aligned with, is not for everybody? Is it for certain types of humans? I guess that's the question of your podcast in a way. <laughs> it's that everyone is this is my version of success. There's going to be all kinds of different versions of what that means. And I've come to realize I have a few friends that are incredibly successful in their careers. They're now at sort of the top level of their organization and they love what they're mm -hmm. doing. And they don't seem to be kind of like 
striving and on a hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. And they've gone through the process of figuring it out. And they're like, this is my thing. This is what I love. I actually have a couple of friends that put that down and then kind of went back to it in a slightly different form. And so I used to sort of not understand why people didn't do things I do. And now I get like, I am a really emotionally sensitive person. Part of the way that I live my life is about how do I function in a healthy way in the world, being this kind of person. Mm -hmm. I'm a recovered addict. I have all kinds of (laughs) things that require some support in terms of my mental health. And that's great. We need people like me. Now I'm open enough. Like I learn from those friends. I'm like, oh yeah, I could get a bit better Mm. with my budgeting. And (laughs) oh yeah, like they plan, you know, a couple trips a year because of that thing. And it allows them to do this. Oh yeah. Like I got to get more, a little more practical sometimes. I love the humility around that. And the fact that you share that you get support and that you're a recovered addict. I remember many years ago that that was something you had reticence sharing with people. Now you're on a freaking podcast saying that out loud. (laughs) Talk about moving beyond the shame and there's no accident that you're a freaking published writer now that you're putting poetry out there. You couldn't possibly be in this place of like owning what your mentor said, that swagger and that spark without also looking at the parts that needed unraveling and releasing some of the shame around. That's really inspiring. Thank you for showing up here in your three-dimensional self. Thanks, Nat. So I'm doing this thing on this podcast. (laughs) We'll see how it works. I don't want to be too gimmicky, but I'm trying to explore something that's vulnerable for me to ask with every guest. Oh, I love it. Great. So you can take the Jewish girl out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the Jewish girl. I tried. (laughs) I went to camp. I went on canoe trips. I love nature, but it's the camping thing. And you told me this story that literally put me in hives last year about going on your own camping one night, which to me, that's like the ultimate level of courage and bravery. Could I ask you some simple (laughs) questions about camping? Because I really want to do some camping stuff with my family. Of course. Yeah. At night, when you're sleeping in the tent, (laughs) (laughs) do bugs come in to the tent? Is there a way? Because for me, the idea of bugs crawling on me, I'm done. Like, nope, I'm not going. So Do I have to accept that bugs will crawl on me or is there a way to close and seal the tent in a way that that (laughs) won't happen? The good news is technology has arrived and you won't be sleeping in an old canvas tent of the past. So the tents now are beautiful. I bought myself this bright orange, amazing one. They zip all the way around and nothing can get in. And you have this practice when you camp When you go in and out of your tent, you zip yourself out and you zip it back up again. And that way you don't get mosquitoes at night. Okay, here's my second question. I'm not kidding. I've taken my kids hiking and I have this moment, the more we go into the woods, it's like the anxiety of like, (laughs) what do you do if you end up face to face with a predator? Like, so I want to know bears, what do I do? I get it mixed up and then I think in the moment I'm going to do the thing you're supposed to do with the cougar for the bear. (laughs) Because where we live, bears are a legit possibility, right? So what do you do if there's a bear? 
I'm not an expert in this, but I do know that there's a bear. A lot of people have bear spray okay. that they take with them. What I do know is you don't want to run with a bear, like run and they'll chase you. Okay. So generally you sort of um, back up. <laughs> but the good thing is usually you hear or see those things way before, you know, pretty early and you can sort of, you know, just start backing yourself up and leaving if worse comes to worse or something about playing dead with a bear because then you're okay but yeah. I, I don't you're gonna have to look that one up okay this is not helping at all <laughs> I'm not you know like I'm not that I'm not a big backwoods yeah camper okay I'm, you know and I'm often with a group I think I feel a little bit better but um you're basically committed to joining us for some type of camping trip so <laughs> okay yeah thank you great see you there could you share with people who want to learn more about you how they can do that? People can find me at renjones.ca, and it's Ren like the bird, W-R-E-N-J-O-N-E-S dot C-A. I'm here to support you beyond what you hear in these conversations. So check out my website. I've got some practical guides and worksheets. Yes, I said worksheets to help you create the changes you want in your life. You can find all of that at natalieruskin.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-R-U-S-K-I-N.com. On the topic of success, I want this podcast to be successful. And I've realized that one of my metrics for success is being able to share this message with those who may need it most. So if you feel inspired by what you've heard here, like it, or let's say a friend or colleague comes to mind, share it with them. And finally, I'm a work in progress here, people, and I would love to hear from you what topics, what themes around success would you like to hear more on? Send me an email. I'm at natalie at natalieruskin.com.